When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talker City Podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today as always is Mr Joe Gray. Joe, how's it going? Not too bad, I've got my coffee this morning so I'm, I'm ready to go. Really energised, raring to go. And there's <laughs> Not yet, a lot after the coffee, oh, Of course, of course, of course. We'll get it down there because we've got a lot to talk about and you know, another wild weekend for Manchester City uh, a win that I actually think we predicted would be quite close, but I didn't think either of us thought it would be quite as close as this. Manchester City defeated Fulham 2-1, but by God, was it harder than any recent games with the Cottagers. City went ahead in the first half, a lovely finish from Julian Alvarez, but were pegged back in quite dramatic fashion when Andres Pereira scored from the penalty spot, um, a penalty which was given away by Joao Cancelo, leading to his dismissal. For over an hour, City tiled away with 10 men, but in the 95th minute, they got a penalty of their own of dubious circumstances, to say the least, and Erland Haaland just about got it into the bottom corner. Joe, you were there. What a match. What an atmosphere, which we'll talk on about more. But, man, what a game. And City making, you want to say hard work of it because it's only Fulham, but Fulham are a lot better than the Fulham we've come to know and love in recent years. And to win with 10 men, such dramatic circumstances, you, you know, even if you have, even if we have continued kind of concerns about City's struggles of late, you can't, you, once again, you can't kind of sniff a result like that. No, well, City, all they had to do was get get the result, didn't they? And uh, it was it was that red card. Everything changed on that red card. City were in total control until that point, doing what we've seen them do countless times, which is keep the ball in the final third and just wait for the opportunity. Opportunity. I thought Jack Grealish was sort of probing quite well on one side. You had Kevin De Bruyne putting balls in on the other. Julian Alvarez running through the centre. And it looked like it was just going to be another run-of-the-mill game. But you know, I think there's a little bit of a weakness this season in City that one attack can change the game. We we maybe saw it a little bit against Brighton. Crystal Palace did it when City were in control and then suddenly they get a corner and go ahead and then they went and got a second one. And Fulham literally just had one sort of half attack. Um, Vinicius, who was, uh, he was in for Alexandra Mitrovic, who wasn't playing. We thought that would be a, a benefit to City, especially after Pep Guardiola praised him so much in the in the build-up, um, Vinicius plays through Harry Wilson and Jao uh, Cancelo gets the wrong side and, and barges him over. And at first I thought, well, maybe it's a penalty, but surely it's not a red card. He's, it's shoulder to shoulder. It's a shoulder barge. But, you you know, you look again and he does, he's not trying to play the ball. He stops Wilson from, from having a shot on goal, which he definitely would have done. And it is denying a, a goal-scoring opportunity. And I think it was telling after the game that Guardiola said, just let him have the shot. It's 25 minutes in. Edison can probably save it. If not, it's 1-1. Go again and see, and see what happens. You've got 65 minutes to to try and get a winner with, with 11 men. Instead, you know, Pereira tucks away the penalty. City are down to 10 and then they've got 
a lot more work to do. And I would have imagined that Guardiola wanted to do a bit more rotation, uh, bring on a few players. He had Erling Haaland on the bench, probably didn't want to use him if he's not fully fit. But, you know, circumstances changing and he needed to to bring on those players and keep on some of the other ones. And yes, it took until the 95th minute. Um, they had that goal disallowed, pretty, pretty good header from Haaland, but he was offside. At one point, I didn't think it was going to come, but as soon as yeah, De Bruyne gets in the box and and he spins, um, oh, who was it? It was um, Anthony Anthony Robinson, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Bolton, yeah. <laughs> I, I think there was only one outcome. It wasn't Haaland's best penalty, but the sort of atmosphere in the ground was uh, yeah. I've, I've not seen the Etihad like that this season, but admittedly, I wasn't at the derby, so it's probably I would imagine the sort of the best full-time atmosphere aside from the derby I think it was more relief than anything but it it definitely felt like a big sort of step that City's players and, and mm. staff were taking as well as the fans when it could have just been a normal three or four nil win but they, they might do better having worked hard for it and and had to fight for the win I don't know what what, what did you make of it because it was it, it, they should have won shouldn't they but mm. the way that it happened it it might benefit them more yeah I mean Nothing, there's nothing better than a late winner in mm-hmm. you know any game. It doesn't matter, even if it's a friendly or you know from non-league to Premier League. Even if you should be beating teams, winning late, winning when you probably shouldn't have done. I know the disparity in the two teams means that even when City are down to ten men, the odds are likely still in the favour. I feel like Fulham could have pressed the advantage a little more. You've seen as we saw against Brighton at times in that game, Palace, as you say. Um, if you kind of take the game to City a bit more, th- there is a bit of a, a bit of a frailty there this season, especially. Um, I think maybe something we'll touch on later, or maybe we'll save it for the diet for the barren spell during the World Cup. But I think it's quite interesting that there isn't really a settled centre back partnership this year, and I wonder if that has anything to do with the weakness. And of course, Kyle Walker being injured obviously plays a massive part as well. Um, oh, being not uh, being not playing as much, I think. He's rotated the centre back so often. Last when City have been so imperious in the last few seasons, it's when he's had either Diaz or Stones, Diaz or Laporte, company and whoever. It's been a settled partnership to build on, and they've been really solid. I think a big reason why they're not quite as solid this year is because, and this isn't to say that any of these players aren't good. I think Akanji's been brilliant when he's played, and you know Stones has shown that he could do it, and Ake's certainly got his qualities as well. But when you're constantly Rotating Stones, Aki, Akanji, Laporte and Diaz. I know Laporte's been out for a lengthy spell and probably isn't quite up to his full fitness yet. But when you have such um, uncertainty and um, nothing solid, it's hard to, for the team to be solid itself. So I wonder if that's got something to do with it. But I always feel like City do have that bit of a weakness in, on the turn. when If a team can get in behind them, they're a bit like the Death Star. They're so like imperious and imposing and look like they've got no weakness. But there's that one little... Um, was it air shaft or whatever it was in, in Star Wars? <laughs> like City just have that little bit. If you can break the press, if you can get in behind them, you get them on the turn. They're not the quickest going back. And as you say, they can be a bit clumsy. Cancelo often a bit of a culprit in that fact. And you can, you can you know, it's the it's the one flaw that makes an otherwise faultless <laughs> faultless machine a bit human. It's the bit of, it's the bit of stuff, you know, the bit of um what's it called, kind of humanising, sympathetic aspect to City. It's literally the only thing about them, that little bit of weakness that... I I always think as a kind of a football fan, you need that bit of... um, that bit of frailty to really make things mean even more. Because if City just win 3-0, done and dusted, 
half time, you know, I don't blame anyone for doing this because mm-hmm. I do the exact same. I once went to a, a match in London and left it at half time because it was that bad. So I do not blame anyone for leaving <laughs> early. But if you're 3 0 up, game done, it's absolutely peeing down, weather's rubbish, freezing. You might nip home, get a tram that's quiet or miss the traffic, whatever. I don't blame anyone for that. But when it's such a tense affair and it's really cutting edge, could go either way, and then you get that late win like that, it's like there's no other feeling like it. And the celebrations are great. That's what you want to see. You want to see that such um, such passion, such, such jubilation for results. And it shows how much Pep kind of, A, sees Fulham, you know, Fulham doing great this year. They're by no means a pushover. And I think it shows how how kind of close the title race. I know we're only in November and there's obviously a big break coming and the complexion of the season will be completely different come uh, come Boxing Day, well, come New Year, when f- clubs come back and we'll see how many players have <laughs> succumbed to the heat and succumbed to injuries, succumbed to the workload. But, you know, we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about Arsenal a bit later on, but they're pushing City now and I think City are always better and more dramatic when just like with Liverpool they've got a rival pushing them all the way I think the best title victories of Guardiola's reign have been those ones when it's been neck and neck I think the one when they won about 20 points over United obviously that was during Covid as well so bit of a bit of a damp squib of an affair it's always better when you've got rivals and drama and you know and that that full game was absolutely caked full of it you know and let's talk about we'll talk about Alvarez uh, in a moment too but let's kind of talk about the first instant, that penalty, as you say, I, I'm with you a little bit. I, like, I was thinking, oh, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, how can that be a red? He's nudged him. Mm-hmm. But then I was going through my head like, I thought it was a double jeopardy rule. And then, as you say, it's double jeopardy when you deliberately, or you can purposely say you've played for the ball and you just missed. And I think you're right. I don't think Cancelo can claim with a shoulder bar through the spine <laughs> that he deliberately or purposely tried to get the ball. So it is... It's one of those where it doesn't feel like it should be a red card. It feels a bit soft because obviously it's shoulder barge. It's like, oh, come on, but it's a shoulder barge to the spine. So I don't think there can actually be many arguments with the red now I think about it. And they say Fulham come back into it through that. And I think if they had pressed them, pressed themselves a little bit more and weren't trying to, you know, it's, it's always, that's the problem place City. No matter what you do, there's always downsides to it. If they press themselves a little bit more, maybe De Bruyne would have more space and he picks out Alvarez earlier and City win it a lot less uh, dramatically. But I do feel if Fulham had kind of pressed the advantage a little more with 10 men for such a long time, they might have got a result there because they've certainly got the quality to have done so. Yeah, we were sort of wanting Fulham to come out in the second half and and have a go. And they, they did a little bit. They had one sort of break and, and shot and uh, I think Wilson spooned it wide. I, I get why they, why they did sort of sit back a bit because probably a draw at the Etihad is better than going all out and, and getting picked off. But you've got a man advantage and and yes, City will keep possession, but they, they were playing sort of Rodri as the sort of alternative centre-back and Nathan Ake had moved out. So there was only sort of one player in that back line who was in the, the natural position. Um, I did think that they they could have had a go. We, we always say we like it better when teams come and have a go at City. With the, the better games at the Etihad this season have been when Fulham have had a go and, and Brighton and, and Crystal Palace and those sort of teams, because there's just a bit more interest. And I've said it before, I think if you're a, an opposition side, if you're coming to a city, surely you, may, you will learn far more by having a go and seeing if you can get something rather than just sitting back and taking a three or four goal defeat. I, I, I don't see the benefit in that at all, just trying to limit the goals that you're going to concede. And yes, Fulham lost, but they've only lost by one goal. So, you know, maybe whatever they're fighting for at the end of the season, 
if they're fighting against rivals who've got pummeled by City, it could, it could make a difference. You never know. But yeah, I think Fulham were brave, but could have been a bit more adventurous and they sort of invited the pressure from City in that second half. There, there weren't many clear-cut chances, but there were enough sort of opportunities for City to get the ball in the box and, and try and get something. And it's, especially when Haaland came on, he wasn't sort of, he's clearly missed a few games, so he might not have been up to his full fitness. And I did notice he, he kept trying to go for his left foot with everything. He hit his penalty with his left foot and in his warm-ups, every every pass was left foot. So I don't know whether there's still something bothering him with his right, but um, every shot was, was with his left. He wasn't completely on on the level that we've seen him before, but just his presence made made Fulham drop back even more and and sort of put another man in defence and, and try and hold out for that draw. So, yeah, I, it's, it's a tricky one. I don't know what I would have done in, in Fulham's situation, but um, their manager, Marco Silva, after, afterwards was pretty gutted. He, I think he thought that that was a real opportunity to get something. You need a bit of luck when you come to City. They got that with the red card. Um but I think they might have been might have been able to push it a little bit more and and earn a result. Yeah, definitely. But you know, you are playing against City. You have such talent all over the mm-hmm. show, and that talent, um, you know, first and foremost in the match was Julian Alvarez. A really good goal, clipped off the crossbar. Really emphatic finish. It's been a good week for him. He's you know gets severe um, two assists and a goal. That was I feel like that was you know he had the Forest match. But I feel like that severe game, even though it was a dead rubber, was kind of a real kind of coming out pie for him, a bit of an arrival display, of the second half at least anyway. And, and to follow that up again with another goal, obviously he's not going to be the main man with Haaland. He was one who did make way, of course, for Haaland later on. But I think while I've been impressed with what I'd seen of Alvarez um, for the start of the season, especially coming from not not just you know not just a new club, but a new continent, um, new, new league, new country, completely new way of life, comes to City having played a big chunk of football already due to... Um, the Argentine season being in full flow. Like, and so to come in, and maybe you could say that would make him fitter, but you could also say that would make him a bit more tired, as you'd imagine, for a young lad, even though he is older than Haaland, which is a mad. But, you know, I thought he'd been really well in his cameos, but I think he was just lacking a little bit on the, um, just on his goal contributions, either assists or goals. He wasn't, I think he had the two against Forest. He obviously scored against Liverpool in the Community Shield and maybe one other goal somewhere in there, maybe in the earlier stage of the Champions League. But, um, yeah, I got one, I think, Copenhagen. That's right. So he'd, he'd been doing well, but I thought he could be doing a little bit more. And to get, you know, to have such a good performance against Sevilla and then to follow that up straight away with a really good goal in a game that matters as well, it's been it's been promising for him. I don't, you know, I think you want to talk about how he was the one who to come <laughs> off. And obviously that's, it's not the best for him, but obviously it's more about, I'd imagine it's more about the shape and keeping that one sole striker down to 10 men, etc. But I'm, I'm, it's, I think it's been really promising for him the performances he's had in Haaland's absence. And with any, I know Haaland's back, it's going to be interesting to see what role he kind of fulfills. Because I think there could be well be an argument that he starts getting more opportunities in the on the flank positions. I think it's safe to say Grealish and Mahrez, while, you know, ticking along nicely and doing all right, I don't think either of them are really kind of nailing their post, you know, the, I can't remember the saying. Whatever, post to the mast, is that the saying? I don't know. They're not exactly making, you know, they're not exactly really solidifying the spots in the team. I don't think... They have a divine right to play. It's not as if they're in remarkable form and have to play every match. So I think there could be scope. I know we've only got a couple of games left now before the break anyway, but I think there could be scope for Alves getting a few more minutes, even if Haaland's playing, be it out wide or as a front two. Yeah, well, I think these last two games are the first time we've seen him 
in a system that he has a lot of firepower behind him, the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo, um, Phil Foden, supplying him and making those runs and giving him that space. He's They're the only two times we've seen him without Erling Haaland leading the line in a system that's set up to attack. His previous games, I'm looking at Dortmund, Copenhagen away, Leicester, he simply had no space. And he, he said this before the um, Sevilla game, he, he does find it difficult if a team has got sort of five defenders and, and three midfielders as a defensive line, it's really difficult for him to get space. So the fact that in the second half when City changed the shape, they opened up a bit, he got two goals and assist in, in 45 minutes was sort of a sign that, you know, this is what he can do. And his goal against Sevilla where he rounded the keeper, found the top of the net, really confident. And that's what we've seen on, on those videos from his time at River Plate. And the first half against Fulham looked like it was going to be exactly the same. Really good ball from Gundogan. He got the run on the defender and that finish was sort of so natural. It was, he didn't think about it. He just knew this is how I finish in this chance. And it, it was like a, it was like watching Sergio Aguero finish. And, and that's what I think we've been waiting for. And it feels like he's been working so hard. He's had what, four, four starts in a row. The last sort of two halves, if you like, if you take the second half against Sevilla and first half against Fulham, he really took a few steps forward. And then Jao Cancelo gets sent off and then City are more defensive and not looking to go forward as much because they've got one less less man. And as soon as Erling Haaland's ready to come on, of course, he's going to be the one to be sacrificed. It's I, I felt like he's he's been playing like a game of snakes and ladders. He's been slowly moving up sort of ones and twos all the way up the board. And then he's got really near to the top and he's got that big snake that goes right down to the bottom because he's got no... He's now now Erling Haaland's back. He's not going to get as many chances. And I agree with you. I, I think I would start him against Chelsea just because it's a cup game. Haaland might still need a, a little bit of time to to get fit. I think he's he's earned his chance, and especially in those those two halves. As I say, I, I've been really really impressed with him. But I, yeah, I just think he's the circumstances have gone against him so much that we've not really had a chance to see him for more than a one or two halves at a time. Like he's shown that when he gets that chance and he, he has a system that supports him and plays to his strengths, he probably is going to score goals and create chances. So it'd be nice to see him. Can he do that in, in a bigger Premier League game or a Champions League game or say the game against Chelsea who have a better opponent than Fulham with, with respect to both teams? I just don't think think he is going to get that chance now until mm. until after the World Cup. But mm. it's, yeah, it's, there's, there's glimpses of, of what he can do, but the situation he finds himself in is that he's only going to be able to sort of snatch at those those chances. He's not going to get a, a run in the team. And uh, yeah, Guardiola said the other day, he reminds him of Gabriel Jesus for his, his hard work off the ball. But I think he's going to be similar in the fact that Jesus never really got a significant run in the team to to show what he was capable of. And I, th- I think Alvarez will find a, a similar, similar dynamic at City this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't surprise, sadly, I should say. Like, it just seems like when he gets his opportunities, it's snake bit a yeah. little bit. Obviously, there's that Copenhagen game when Gomez got sent off as well. It's like, exactly. poor lad, poor lad. But, you know, <laughs> one guy who certainly does take his chances is Erling Haaland. He comes on um, back from injury at long last. It's only been a few, you know, a few games, but it feels like so much longer when you're not having him bang, you know, especially for me fantasy, because you can't get rid of him, but then you're like... <laughs> Oh, I really need you back, mate, because I'm struggling. I'm certainly struggling. But he comes <laughs> back. Um, as you say, his presence is immediately felt, even if he's not 100%. He, you know, defenders are just petrified. Um, unfortunate, um, but definitely the right decision to see. Yeah, his first goal ruled out. 
95th minute, as you say, squirms a penalty under Bern Leno. Should we talk about the penalty? Because what? <laughs> It's an interesting one. I, I'm all for diving. I think diving's a If you can feel the ref and feel everyone else, fair enough. And there was t- there was definitely contact on De Bruyne, but he definitely buys it. He flies himself to the ground about five seconds after the touch. And that's great. I, you know, very bold and heavy podcast, apparently. But I remember Matt <laughs> Davis did it in, way back well. Oh, man, 11 years ago now when we were in the Premier League, Blimenech. Um I think there was like three games in a row and they were all against West, uh, the Midlands side, Wolves, West Brom and Villa. And every game, Matt Davis did something like this. A touch on the ankle, oh, mm-hmm. arch back, down, penalty, and we score off him. And that was very similar. The only thing I think is like, it's just what we've said about VAR before, like that he's not going to change the decision of VAR. And I think it's a contact sport and he has clips his ankle a tiny bit and it's silly to go in for a foul like that in the ninth minute and you know inexperience or whatever it is with Robinson silly to kind of put your foot out and make the contact but I always think it is a contact sport and just because you get tapped <laughs> on the ankle doesn't mean you can go down like you've been sniped by a blooming sniper 50 yards away and you know good for City and good for you know Good, you know, it's smart from De Bruyne to win the penalty that way. It's, it's really clever play, but I just don't get how, when we have the AR now, how it doesn't get looked at and before. Mm, probably not enough contact there, mate, you know, but it's just never going to change the decision. What, what did you make of it? It's like I say, I'm not saying it wouldn't be a foul anywhere else, I suppose, or anything like that, but it just seems, I don't know, I think that we'll talk about it maybe a bit more after, but I feel like penalties are too harsh of a punishment for some things. And mm. this will probably complicate the game so much more. But when, what is it like an eighty percent chance of scoring a penalty or seventy five percent chance, something like that? I feel like maybe they need to make the penalty the area where you can get a penalty from smaller or something. Because the stupid handballs you get, like the I always go to the the Mane one in the Liverpool Champions League final against Tottenham. Like that wasn't a scoring opportunity when he flicked the ball onto his hand from at the edge of the, like from well wide of the box, and then you get a shot that has an eighty percent chance of going in or whatever. It's like. I just feel like pen- penalties now is for how soft fouls can be given in the box at times for handballs or flicks of the ankle or whatever. The the reward is fast so much better or the punishment is so much worse than the actual crime. But before we get on to change the laws <laughs> of the game again, what did you think about the penalty? You're just going to say, yeah, definitely a penalty now. I am, yeah, because yeah. I saw it at the time <laughs> and I thought, definite penalty. I saw it again. I thought, definite penalty. And then... I'm watching match of the day and they're saying, oh, well, he's, he might have dived a little bit here and Sky Sports are saying, and, and I'm thinking, well, he's, he's tried to turn him in the box and he's had his leg taken out. Yeah. It's the 94th minute, City need a goal. He's not going to stay on his feet, is he? And, no, I yeah, don't blame I, him. You know what I mean? I understand, yeah, he, he's not going anywhere and he's probably not going to have a shot in that situation. If you compare it to Cancelo's, Harry Wilson is definitely going to have a shot there and mm. probably going to get it on target. So a penalty is a very fair punishment for that yeah it's it's in the box it's for me it's a foul I think Marco Silva was asked about it afterwards and he he had no complaints at all um which I think was quite telling I think the only people who are uh not really happy with it are maybe maybe seen it after. yeah I was wording wording carefully there um yeah I don't think anyone at the ground really complained I, I didn't see many Fulham complaints that it was a, a penalty um I think, yeah, maybe he might have put his arms out and, and gone down a little bit, but 
if if you've got a chance to to win the game. And as I say, I don't think he was really going to create a shooting opportunity when he had the ball. You're going to do what you can to to get a penalty. And yeah, Haaland steps up. As I say, it was left foot. He, he has been doing right foot his, his first two penalties, hasn't he? So maybe that's something that he was just trying to um, give himself a better chance. And he said he was nervous, which mm. shows that he's he is actually human. Um, but it, what was interesting afterwards as well was Guardiola said, yes, it wasn't the best penalty he's ever seen. But he, and he, he name checked Riyad Mahrez as well. He said, if you if you hit it soft, there's a 50-50 chance of it going in. And he said, if you hit it hard, there's a 75% chance of it going in. And he said, that seems to be the difference. So it was like, basically, if Mahrez wants to take another penalty, hit it harder. Because if you look at the ones he's missed, they, they have been sort of a little bit soft and towards the the sort of centre. That's the impression I, I seem to get. He was basically saying, if you hit it hard, even if it's not the best penalty, even if it's not the best direction, you've got a chance of it going under the keeper like like Haaland's did. Well, that's interesting. I, I, like, if you remember the Mahrez one, what, who's he missed against? Dortmund and what was the other one? He Copenhagen. Missed? Copenhagen. I, I want to say it was the Dortmund one. I thought he hit that well hard. Yeah. It was just the direction... The accuracy, I suppose, yeah, it's, it's, it's direct direction he's talking about, but yeah, no, like Harland was in the corner pretty much. I know it kind of went under Leno, yeah. but his because his was like kind of really in the corner, even though it was mm-hmm. soft, he, the keeper couldn't quite reach it. Whereas Mares, he whacked it, but because it was at a perfect height, perfect, not you know, in the pistol mm-hmm. in the middle, it was easily saved. And well, I should say, maybe Mares will get another go over <laughs> anyway, but you know, he squirmed it in. And I say, I don't just to go back to the debate. I don't blame De Bruyne for doing what he did. It's really smart play to emphasise the foul. I feel like maybe it was just a really kind of close one. I feel like if it hadn't have been given, I don't think VAR would have overturned it either. Yeah. So just, I think that's uh, the same with possibly with Cancelo's as well. I think if mm. he'd not given it, VAR might not have, have done it. It's, it's one of those mm-hmm. sort of on the line where there's not enough evidence to show that they've made the wrong decision. But like you say, if, mm. if the referee hadn't given it, I would have probably looked at it and said, no, nah, there's not that much contact. And that's, that's kind of just crooks my argument. I just don't think, wh- where was he in the box? I feel like it was near the penalty spot, like near the edge. No? Yeah, it's sort of near the 18-yard line, facing away. I just feel like the box is too big and the areas, mm-hmm. either a penalty should be from the 18-yard line, if it's for an 18-yard box, or the box should be 12 yards. I, I'm just p- p- petitioning change. So I feel like the, the punish, as I say, the area for punishment is so big when there's such a good chance of scoring a penalty and maybe something should be in diet free kicks or whatever, you know, and you know, that'll just complicate the game. Imagine the controversy there. I'm listening <laughs> to you. Know, I, 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 don't disagree. Kicks. I don't disagree, but I'm also thinking good luck trying to change yeah. the rules of the penalty. <laughs> Imagine the outrage if you get trying to change the, the dimensions kick, of the yeah. box. And the, the decision that springs to mind is the one in Copenhagen where was it, was it Akanji or Ake is got his arm on the on the Copenhagen defender mm. and it hits so the, the arms are locked together and, and the ball just mm. hits the the defender and it's given his handball. He can't yeah. move his arm anywhere. He's not gaining any advantage, but it was in the six yard box. So yeah. see that's why I, I feel like for these maybe even, that may, say, maybe goes against your, your idea of like, minimizing the area because I feel like indirect free kicks then because like that, as you say, that handball yeah. and the, the Liverpool one as I mentioned the, the punishment for that, which has had no <laughs> real effect on the game, or not blocked to score an opportunity, shouldn't that sort of thing should not be worth a eighty percent chance of scoring? 
It's yeah. just ridiculous. And fucking... I suppose you could also say that defenders know the rules, though. So Robinson yeah. knows that if he goes in, he's in the area very clearly. If he gets that wrong, it's it's going to be a penalty. So it's, it's up to them as well to to change how they're defending. Absolutely, absolutely. And let me, let's say like we're not going to change the laws of the game on this <laughs> podcast, without a doubt. And as you said, the the penalty, whether you and I presume absolutely everyone listening to this believes it was a penalty. I'm probably <laughs> the sole voice of um, uh, objection here. But it sparked wild celebrations, a good, important win for City, especially with what came on Sunday. Um, but wild celebrations afterwards, Joe, you know, you were there, you soaked in the atmosphere. I think, you know, the naysayers and the talk sport pundits of the world are probably going, you can't celebrate like you've won the Champions League <laughs> after winning a football game. Why would you have joy in football? You should just be miserable. <laughs> I hate that take more than anything. It happens every time and it's just naked, naked, you know, naked attempts at getting rage interactions on Twitter at this point. So we shouldn't engage, but I am nothing if not um, a mouse to the cheese of stupid opinions. But it was lovely to see, I thought, and it was maybe the uh, Aguero tribute was a little much, but it was great to see. I thought the scenes were great, quite emotional. And that's what football's about. You were there. What, What was it like? I was expecting a, a big celebration because obviously a 95th minute winner is is great, but I wasn't really expecting the level of celebration. I'm not saying that's negative at all, but yeah, Haaland wheels away, takes his shirt off and uh, Etihad goes nuts and, and Guardiola's hugging everyone and, and anyone. And, and at full time, Haaland then gives Guardiola a big bear hug. Guardiola tells the whole squad to do a sort of a lap of honour really and the, the Tannoy are playing the songs that go with the the Erling and Alfie Haaland chant and then the We've Got Guardiola chant and Haaland's going along with it and Guardiola's fist pumping and there were a couple of comments made that it maybe was akin to when Liverpool got that draw with West Brom and, and Klopp got everyone in front of the cop. I don't think it was on that level, but it, it, it was, it felt like, a celebration that was more than just a 2-1 win over Fulham. But then you listen to Guardiola afterwards and he said that, he basically said that that win makes sense of his his time and it shows that the fans, the players, the staff, everyone still cares and is still on board with what they're trying to do. And like you say, if you can't enjoy a 95th minute winner when you played 70 minutes basically with, with 10 men, then what are you doing in football? Like you, you can have the best squad in the world, which City probably do, but sometimes you do need those moments. And if, if as I said before, if, if that's going to be a result that sort of re-energises the squad and, and keeps them going, there always seems to be a result whenever City have one of these big runs and normally around this time of the year, the, the World Cup's going to disrupt that a bit. But whenever they go on these big winning runs, normally there's one, one result where they probably were not the best, but scrape a result and... And that's sort of the turning point. And I won't be surprised if at the end of the season, whatever City achieve, this result is sort of referenced again because City did have to work hard. Things were going against him. It, it looked like it wasn't going to happen. And then suddenly the whole the whole squad and, and fans and, and staff are all all as one and, and celebrating together. And it was it was really interesting to see the the level of sort of genuine celebration in, in that squad and especially hearing Guardiola say things like, this is the moment of my seven years here, to, or words to that effect. He was absolutely delighted. And obviously there's lots of uh, lots of 
debate and, and wait over when he's going to sign a new contract. Is he going to sign a new contract? When you hear him saying things like that, he, he was saying things like, you know, sometimes after seven years, players get annoyed at him or don't follow his instructions. He was basically saying he's realised, whether it, it was this game that showed him or not, I don't know. But it's like he's realised that there is still a absolute desire from top to bottom at City to to continue what they're doing. And I'm, I'm not saying that means that he's going to sign a new contract, but yeah. it sounds very much like he knows that if he was to stay, the desire and the hunger that he would want to continue being successful seems to be there, which can only be a good thing. So again, if, if a late win against Fulham is, is the one that that helps him make his mind up, it could be uh, mm. could be one of the best best goals yeah. that City fans have seen at the Etihad. Yeah, who knew who knew a win over Fulham could be so important? <laughs> but I think I think the, the celebrations like it kind of hacks back to what Guardiola said quite a few times about kind of the city crowd and the atmosphere mm. they make. Now City stuck with them in that Fulham match all the way through, made for a really tense and supportive and boisterous atmosphere throughout that game. Even if it had a finish one-one, I still think Guardiola would have been happy with. The way the crowd really supported the team and the the the, the noise they made, it's because um, you know, and then the celebrations just tipped that over the edge. Like it's not happened for a while now, but Guardiola has, I wouldn't say clashed with fans, but certainly called them out on occasion for like not being loud enough. And it's usually with Champions League matches, and that's because cities other city fans have um, you know, I don't exactly like your wafer and stuff as well, and aren't as bothered about Champions League as perhaps. Other fans are certainly as Guardiola is, um, or at least certainly haven't been in the past. And I think he's he's with the way he's kind of criticised or at least asked for more from fans in the past to have that now. And I think I can't remember when he said it, but yeah, I don't feel like he's criticised him for a while. But he actually was it earlier this season after a Champions League match. He really, or maybe last season in a program notes or something along those lines. He really praised them for the atmosphere they've been bringing. I'm pretty sure it was this season. It might have been last. Um, but he's been really essentially after kind of fans coming back and stuff. He's really been praised. He really praised them and said how much of an atmosphere they've been bringing and stuff. And I feel like to do that against Fulham in a game where City should be winning, there's a chance for them. You know, some fans may well have been voicing frustrations and whatnot instead for them to be so supportive and to have such wild celebrations after it. Almost felt like to me like a bit like a thank you. He wanted to do that guard of honour in the place to do it more to show their appreciation to supporters rather than to kind of. Um, soak in the glory of it. Yeah, I'm just trying to look back at the programmes I've got because it seems to be a, a theme this season that he is really praising the fans. Mm. And yes, he has maybe made a couple of comments before, um, but this season he's really praising them. I don't think he's, he's had a bad word to say. And no. He's gone out of his way to to comment on on the improvement that he feels that he's seen at, at the Etihad. And um, I know our colleague Simon asked, asked him earlier in the season, about the fans and he basically said that he has noticed a difference mm. and they can really help and that the fans were with City at times and you hear them even if City are one or two nil up if the tempo might have dropped a little bit you hear the fans coming back and, and getting behind the side and you know games against Leicester for example where it was very very tight the fans didn't stop singing um, against Fulham again there was always sort of constant noise from from the South Stand and it was yeah I, th I think he's been pleasantly surprised. And that was another reason, thing that he mentioned. He said that to see the, the look on the people's faces after the Fulham win was another reason that sort of gives him the energy that he was talking about. And yeah, if 
if he he is now happy with sort of the constant level of support he's he's getting from the fans that's mm. that's great and it, it will help City do what they want to do this season I, I do think that I mean I've I've sort of started to go to more games this season than I have done previously that you do notice the difference it is a louder mm. a louder stadium and even against Sevilla when then you know City went behind yes it was a bit flat we spoke about this last week it was really flat in the first half but in the second half it was really loud and City get the win I I think that City and Guardiola are are really sort of pleased with the fans this season Mm -hmm. and and how how they're getting behind the side and and supporting them and not getting on the backs in the sort of struggling moments and and enjoying the moments when when they're going to win and and yeah, when you win a 95th minute penalty, you, you're going to go mental as, as any football fan would, unless, like you, you've left early. Mm, nah, nah, I, I don't know if I were leaving early if it was such, such a tight <laughs> one. When you're getting battered 2-0 by West Ham and, and you're rubbish, then, then you can go home. I'll, I'll, I'm not going to not gonna punish myself too harshly for that one, trust me. I've got, got to admit, me. I was, a, I was at a game on, on Sunday, I was... I saw Oldham go 2-0 down in 25 minutes and went from a half-time pie on, on 26 minutes. Yeah. So I, I did stay to the end, but I, I, I took a, an extended half-time. Braver than me. I've got mates who've left the games at half-time when we've been winning. So that's, you know, no, that's, I, that's, I, that's, I that's to the that. level. <laughs> that's to the level. Bolton fans are that self-massacre. We just don't, don't care. Just go for the drive, basically. Big waste of money. But... Back back to the team we've come to talk about. Um, you know, another reason the celebrations may have been so wild is because it's such an important win. And as something we'll touch on briefly, Arsenal a really statement victory against Chelsea. It was only one 0 but the way they saw that game out against Chelsea side that are struggling at the moment and really feel like um, a defanged snake. If that's what you define a defanged dog, I don't know something that should bite hard and is no longer doing so. Um, they really saw that game out perfectly. Um, a good, really good win for them. And they remain top of the table. And I think we can officially declare title race on at this point. Yeah, I think that Chelsea game is going to be a massive result for them because we were maybe looking and waiting for them to slip up. And that's probably one that they might have done. But um, I only saw the, the match of the day highlights, but they look to be fairly sort of confident and taking the game and I don't know they're reminding me a bit I don't know if it's a good comparison but they're reminding me a bit of Leicester when they won the league of sort of a good start and getting up there but everyone's just waiting for them to fall off and then they'll go to Chelsea and get a result and then they'll keep getting results against big teams and staying there and everyone will wait for them to fall off but they're not doing it yet and you would expect them to be top at at Christmas for the World Cup assuming that they win the I think is it Wolves they've got in in the next game I can't see them dropping points in, in that game, even though Wolves have a new manager to impress. Yeah, I think they're uh, definitely title contenders. It'll, I think it'll come down to when they play City. I think if City, if they can take six points off City, that's going to be absolutely massive. It'll, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen after the World Cup. They've got quite a lot of players go into the World Cup, but you can, now I don't think you can fault them at all for for what they've done so far. You've got to take them seriously. It, even if that Leicester comparison isn't right, you can take lessons from that and say everyone took Leicester lightly and just waited for them not to do it. And they just said, no, nah, do you know what? We're going to carry on winning and and prove you all wrong. And I think maybe that's the mentality Arsenal have got to take. And 
let's see what happens when they do play City. There, there is one game that needs to be rearranged because mm. that was postponed, wasn't it? So yeah, um, the timing of that could be could be quite important. Mm. Um, I think yeah, we were expecting a, a Liverpool title race. That's probably not gonna not gonna happen now because they keep dropping points. It was a good win for them at Tottenham, but I think they're they're too far behind now. Yeah, bring bring on a, an actual title race. It's so much more interesting when two teams, three teams are going for it. We, we City fans will want to see them win the league, but for the purpose of the next few months, it'll be much better for us if we can see two teams sort of going at it and concentrating on other results and and uh, wait until the last few weeks of the season to see who's who's going to win the title. Yeah, definitely. I think it's so much hinges on January as well because you'd like you'd yeah. imagine Arsenal will strengthen. They've got like a, a position they haven't been in for years now. And if they can, I think the one thing holding them back is like the squad depth. And, you know, City haven't got the biggest squad, but they've got quality everywhere. Arsenal, when you go past that first starting 11, the quality does have pretty significant drop. So if they can add some um, real quality in January, it might be enough to push push them on. You know, as you say, the, the game at the Emirates is yet to be rearranged. I imagine a lot of that will depend on European fixtures and any three weeks, which are obviously at a premium following um, the World Cup. But the, the really, really interesting is that the the game at the Etihad will be one of the last games of the season, played on April 26th at the moment. It's a midweek match. I, I presume there's only about three or four games on after that, if it's still neck and neck by then. Um, that could that be really could be, the, really could be the winner takes all. You know, kind of um, pointing that one out already as a real potential uh, barnstormer of a match. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. But, you know, as I say, it may well depend when the Emirates game gets arranged with how both teams fare in Europe. And the draws have been made. And City avoided PSG, avoided the Milan clubs, but still got stuck with a, a potentially tricky tie. They have been drawn against RB Leipzig. Now, the two teams met twice last season in the Champions League. City won both games. They were quite um, dramatic affairs with red cards, funnily enough, and 6-3 um, win the to second City. one. Oh, did they not? Have I just got that wrong? Bloody hell. You, you inform me because you're clearly better. <laughs> they won the uh, first first game of the group, 6-3 at the Etihad. Jack Grealish's only Champions League goal. And then uh, it was the dead rubber at the in, in Germany. Uh, he you went stronger than we thought. Kyle Walker got sent off and, and Leipzig won 2-1. But the, the group was won already, so it might not be a a, a great one to, to judge because of the, the circumstances around it. Absolutely, but you know, we've seen <laughs> so my apologies, I absolutely screwed up there. But so maybe even I say maybe that gives my credence my point a little bit more credence. It could be definitely be a tricky tie. You know, City did win six um, did beat them at the Etihad when the it did matter, but it was um six three. Christopher and Guku scored a hat trick in that game and he's got only got better and better since. Leipzig aren't doing the best in the Bundesliga, they're currently um sixth in that league, but they certainly have lots of um talented players across the pitch and yeah how, how do you make that tie for City? I think it's one of the better ones that they could have got um, if you look at the teams that they could have faced probably only Club Rouge would have been picked ahead of that maybe Eintracht Frankfurt would, would have been an option um, the, the two Milan clubs you would have fancied City beating but are also fairly good in, in Europe, as, as we've seen in recent years. Um, and they've both been at the top of um, Serie A for the last few years, which they haven't been previously. And then, yeah, the, I think the main thing was avoiding PSG because two teams that are 
sort of tipped to be favourites for the the title, it was you, you don't want to see them play in in the last sixteen, especially if you're City, because that's a game that could easily be the the final. Would be three stages before, and and that would have been a real test for City. This way, the 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 Premier League fixtures around it are relatively straightforward on paper. So, you, yeah, you would you would back City to to go through having the second leg at the Etihad as well. Um, they yeah, the Leipzig are gonna be adventurous. I think Cheeky Bagheristan said the way they play is not ideal for the way City play because it's they make the game game open and they attack. Um, and he said it might be good for the fans, but it's not going to be good for the city staff and coaches and and directors because nothing's guaranteed. But I think yeah, City will be relatively happy with that. And I think more importantly, if they get through, PSG have Bayern Munich and Liverpool have Real Madrid. So mm-hmm. that's two of those teams are not going to get in the quarterfinals. And it, yeah, that that could be an even bigger boost because. If City came up against any of those four sides, there's absolutely no guarantees of going through because of the quality and the history between the sides in in recent games. So mm-hmm. having those, having a bit of help of knowing that two of those are going out um, will be pretty big for City. It's not gonna, it's not to say that they're not gonna draw Bayern or PSG in the next round, but it does mean that maybe mm. a path to the final could be a a little bit simpler. They've got to win themselves. They've got to look after themselves. But they'll they'll be, uh, I think, very very happy with the mm-hmm. with the way that the draw went. Yeah, well, the way the draw did go, of course, the full last sixteen. Um, some interesting ties, and as you kind of touch on there, some big heavy hitters already. There's going to be some big casualties. There's also going to be some interesting teams, uh, teams that have performed really well, like Napoli and Benfica, really kind of. Outperformed. They obviously finished top ahead of Liverpool. Napoli finished top ahead of Liverpool and Benfica ahead of um, Juventus and PSG. So it's nice that the clubs who've outperformed have finished top have actually had a result and you know haven't mm-hmm. finished top in vain for a change. Haven't you know themselves drawn PSG, which Napoli could have done as a bit of a change of tune. But the full draw, as you say, is RB Leipzig versus Manchester City, Club Brugge versus Benfica, Liverpool versus Real Madrid, AC Milan versus Tottenham. Antrax Frankfurt versus Napoli, Borussia Dortmund versus Chelsea, Inter versus Porto, and PSG versus Bayern Munich. That that's a really tasty draw, I reckon. Some really big games, but also, as I say, there's going to be some interesting teams getting into the last eight for the first time. And uh, what what feels like quite a, quite a bit. They usually get one team who kind of outperform. You know, you get your Ajax and uh, was it Leipzig got to the semis a few years ago as well. Mm. So um, you always get the odd one, but it feels like at least at least two or three are going to be. Um, if not, um, you know, AC Milan are obviously a massive name, but haven't. All, this is the last the first time they've been to the knockouts in like eight years, so it's going to be a fresh Champions League knockout stage for the first time in quite a few years, at least. Yeah, should be good. I think it's quite an open draw, and uh, like you say, it's seen their ties. Like, was it Benfica, Napoli? Normally, you'd expect it to be like Benfica, Bayern Munich, Napoli, PSG, and it's pretty much decided. But I think there's quite a lot of ties where genuinely either team could go through. Um, Maybe only City is the one where there's a there's a clear favourite. I'm, I'm thinking, even you know, you're thinking Spurs against Milan and Chelsea versus Dortmund. Who knows? We we saw what Dortmund can do, and yeah, I, I think it'll be a quite an open one. And you're shaking your head there. I'd say Madrid are probably clear favourites against Liverpool at the minute, but with the way the Champions League mm. goes and Liverpool's yeah, history, yeah, on form. 
Yeah. yeah. So, well, it's, it's certainly got the makings of a cracking uh, knockout stages, which will, of course, commence next year. But until then, we do have two more games to go before the World Cup break. And it's, it's quite a big one. Um, on Wednesday, City played Chelsea in the Carabao Cup. Chelsea, a team really struggling at the moment, as we say, lost to Arsenal. Um, really look like they've lost a bit of cutting edge. You know, Graham Potter had a good start, but he's he's it's almost as if Chelsea themselves are a bit of a vortex of sucking the attacking delight out of managers. Tuchel came to came to Chelsea, renowned for his kind of exciting football at Dortmund and PSG, and kind of just turned them out in necessity. I'd won the Champions League by doing so, turning them into like a solid unit, but never managed to break out of that. Potter's come in and, as I say, good start, undefeated for a little while, but have crumbled a little bit as late. And aren't, he isn't, you know, obviously needs time in his own players, but hasn't been able to make them into like the exciting attacking style of play that he had done so well at Brighton. And of course, it'll be a reunion with City um, with Raheem Sterling, who's, you know, City's, I think City's decision to sell Sterling. Is becoming more and more justified with how Sterling's continued struggles at Chelsea. Obviously, the World Cup here back with England, they'll probably shut all doubters up, hopefully, anyway, with um, another great performance for his country. But at club level, he's really, he's, it's not faring very well for him. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I don't, I, from what I can gather, I don't think he's been playing that badly, but he's just not been getting goals. Probably a bit like Jack Grealish. He's probably doing exactly what the manager wants, but. He's not scoring the goals and assists to get himself noticed. So yeah, maybe maybe the World Cup. We know he plays better for England, and he has a bit more of a, a free role. Maybe that can uh, get a bit of confidence back in him. It it'll be interesting to see how both managers approach it. I think because on one hand you can make changes. Guardiola said he will make some changes, um, but Chelsea are a good side. Um, they've got quite a lot of depth. They will want to bounce back from that Arsenal defeat and the loss to Brighton the week before, I believe. Yeah, I think it's not ideal for City at this stage to play a team like Chelsea in, in the Carabao Cup. We know they like to to go far in this competition and there's no guarantees at all that, that they're going to get through. Um, and we know that Chelsea have a lot of good attacking players who have played well against City in the past. I'm looking at Obama Yang, who hasn't done much for Chelsea yet, but always seems to play well against City. Um, yeah, I, I like Mason Mount and Pulisic and players like that. And they could uh, really cause a problem. And Guardiola always liked playing Graham Potter. And yeah, you're saying that he's not been that attacking by all accounts. He's been changing the formation quite a lot and not sticking to one. So it, it could be quite an interesting tactical battle for for Guardiola. And I think Cancelo is suspended for this one. We were trying to work out, is he suspended for the Carabao Cup or, or the Premier League? I think it rolls over into the Carabao Cup. So there will have to be changes in defence. Maybe Sergio Gomez comes back, but the fact that he was completely overlooked when the only left-back was sent off um, and stayed on the bench on, on Saturday probably shows what Guardiola thinks of him at the moment. So I don't know what formation to line up at the back. You can you can make changes at, at, at the top of the pitch. Maybe Mahrez comes in for another chance. Maybe it's another chance for Grealish to, um, yes, he's playing well, but try and get some goals. Um, do you try and play Phil Foden in the middle again, for example? I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of options. Um, he said he'll play or he'll put Calvin Phillips on the bench and try and give him some minutes. So that could be a real boost for City and for him and potentially for England as well. Um, mm. I think it's Thursday, the squad's released. So that could be a re real timely performance. If Phillips will come on and do half an hour, 45 minutes and, and play all right, then that could be... Uh, 
a real boost to his World Cup chances um, just in time for, for Southgate mm-hmm. making his final decisions. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, it's going to be really interesting. Um, probably, if you know, at this stage, we're normally used to City playing uh, League One teams away from home and, and just playing the kids and, and easing through. But, yeah, it'll be... Uh, I, I genuinely don't know how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I don't know what team's going to play. I don't know... Uh, how Chelsea are going to line up. I'm, I'm quite looking forward to going into a game where you've got no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's certainly a strange one. And, you know, you talk about Sterling. I, think, I believe mm-hmm. Sterling's actually been playing wing-back for Chelsea in the last couple of games, which well, there probably you are, that's why... position, is it? No, it's, it's certainly a strange one. It'd be interesting to see if he plays that same role on Wednesday. And, you know, great point about Callum Phillips there. I've seen some, I think he's believe, I believe he's been talking to Five Live, Mm-hmm. I believe it earlier today or last night, and he certainly got his sights set on the World Cup. Here we go. He said, um, "Oh, there's loads of quotes. I can't find the right one." <laughs> but he's basically said his shoulder is fine. He's back into full contact training, as you say. He'll be in, um, hopefully, involved on Wednesday, and he wants to be back playing because he's still hopeful of making the World Cup. So that's certainly um, good news for England. Hopefully, he can prove his fitness beforehand. Um, I don't think he'd be a starter for England at this point with Bellingham and Rice kind of looking like the. Oh, certainly should be the main partnership, but it'd certainly be good if he can get back. Good for City if he can get a few minutes under his belt as well. And yeah, you're right. It's going to be a really interesting team. I, I do wonder myself how if he goes strong. I presume Stefan Ortegan probably comes in, yeah. um, cup keeper. But otherwise, I'm intrigued to see how strong he goes. Like as you say, he really likes the Carabao Cup. He likes winning it. He likes winning every trophy. I think that getting that kind of silverware in February is a, always a really nice boost. Um, of confidence and really drives the hunger to win even more a few months later on. But how how strong does he go? There's only two games left, but you'd imagine he kind of wants to make sure he wins at the Premier League game on the weekend, won't want any slip-ups there. As you say, if Cancelo's suspended, I'm intrigued to see if Rico Lewis comes in. He certainly deserves another chance after his performance against Sevilla, and that that'd be really would be a massive test to see how good he really is, but I'd, I'd be more... I imagine it'll be more one of Stones or Akanji or Ake at fullback. And then further on, does Palmer come in, of course, and Alvarez start, Haaland start even? Uh, you know, it's hard to predict, but how, how strong do you reckon he'll go and how many kids do you think, if any, will get some minutes? I think he'll go, if he's going to use kids, I'd imagine off the bench, maybe Palmer could start. I think that would probably be fair to give him a, a real t- chance I don't, don't think he did too badly against Sevilla he didn't have many chances but he didn't do anything wrong which is always always a positive yeah Haaland could start because he's only got two games and then he's not going to the World Cup but if he's not fully fit then you want him definitely for the for the Premier League and you could do what you did against Fulham and bring him off the bench um, yeah there's lots of options you, you might basically use, use the chance to rotate his players and um, try and get it won early on but Chelsea aren't going to make that easy. So, um, yeah, we'll see what he says in his press conference. And he might say he'll make loads of changes and then doesn't, or he might say he'll go strong and then make loads of changes. We, yeah, we we don't know. And I think it'll depend on on how Chelsea line up as well. Can I get a score prediction out of you? Hard one. Um, just because I don't know what's going to happen, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be a bit high scoring. So, let's say 3-2 City. Interesting. I'm going to go 2-0 City. I don't know if Chelsea quite have them goals yeah. in them, but it'll certainly be interesting to see on Wednesday. And of course, you can keep up to date with all the build-up, all the action and all the reaction from the match 
over on manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the articles we lovingly create and publish on our Twitter at Man City M-E-N, and you'll be able to catch them on the Facebook page as well at Manchester Evening News dash Manchester City. You can get myself on Twitter at Dan Murphy M-E-N, and you can get Joe on Twitter at underscore Joe Bray. Of course, and of course, this has been the Talking City podcast. We'll be back later on in the week to talk the Chelsea match. Hopefully, it'll be as exciting as we all think it may well be. And then we'll look forward to City's last game before the World Cup, a home a home clash on Saturday, early kickoff against Brentford, which you know, hopefully, another another dramatic win with any luck to <laughs> really talk about. Maybe some more wild celebrations before City's players either jet off to Qatar or go and enjoy some nice. A uh, couple of weeks' holidays in the sunshine before uh, before the Premier League kicks back off with City on 28th of December against Leeds United. Well, of course, everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Talking City podcast. We'll be back later on this week, but until then, it's goodbye for now. So, ta-ra. Mm-hmm.